Welcome to Real Life, the program that talks about the life of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond. The people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate with your host, broker associate of Sotheby's International Realty, John Christopher. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have with me Barbara Feldman, who is a, an award-winning Hamptons interior designer. Barbara, how are you today? I'm great, John. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. You know, before we talk about interior design and you sharing some tips and advice about it, let's talk about you. How long have you been an interior designer? I've been an interior designer for 45 years. Wow. 45 years. I, I had different... Uh, I, uh, for the first 30, 35, I actually focused on healthcare and hospital design. And I did residential as well and other types of commercial uh, projects. I, I actually, <laughs> I designed car showrooms for a while. And car shows? What very high-end car showroom. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, uh, and then because I come from a medical family and it, it just seemed natural for me, I started to do doctor's offices and that grew into bigger projects and bigger projects. And I ended up designing hospitals. Fantastic. So what led you to become a, an interior designer? I mean, were you, as, especially as a kid, I mean, did you know that this was something you wanted to do? Were you designing like dollhouses, the interiors? And, no. I mean, how, no. Okay. I wanted to be a vet. But oh. in those days women could not go to vet school. So they, I mean, there were like no women in vet school. I actually have a degree in bio. And then um, I started to, I, I came back, remember what the year it was, it was 1971. You know, I, I was out of college and with a degree in biology and I was basically a hippie. So uh, my grandfather, who was the deputy mayor of his town in New Jersey, West Orange said to me, get some teaching degrees, I'll get you a job. And I went, okay. So he got me a job and I started to uh, teach science to elementary school kids. It was really not a good fit for me, but I started to take design courses while I was doing that at Parsons. And I realized I just seemed to gravitate towards it. And I morphed over into taking some projects and it just developed from there you know 45 yeah. years is a long time to be doing something yeah well and you do it well i mean obviously your your last project that you had was uh uh the uh testimonials from it were quite extraordinary so you must be doing something right well i seem to be able to tap into whatever it is the client is looking for and i have a style I, it's it's um I don't do trendy. My work is not trendy. You probably couldn't tell a project that I did 20 years ago from a project I did last year um, because it just it, it's just the way I work, everything. But you know what? I, I came up with a title for it because I was looking at your last project and it, to me, it just seems like elegant chic. Well, that's a good that's a good one. I'll take it. You'll take it. OK, I'll take it. <laughs> Let me ask you another question. OK, did you have mentors? Uh, because I know you've been a mentor to uh, other designers. And uh, along the way, what kind of advice, what was the best piece of advice that you got and that you still employ today? You know, John, I never really worked for a company. I never, I had people working for me as, as my practice grew in Manhattan. 
I had seven people working for me at one time, but I am a quintessential entrepreneur, which means I don't really listen to anybody. I do exactly what I think is right for me and for my business. And uh, now it's really wonderful because, because of the internet, I do interface with thousands of other designers all over the world, all over the country through Facebook groups, designer groups. And it's made life a lot easier because where I was making decisions all by myself all those years, now I have people to bounce things off of. What do you think about this? Does anybody know where to find that? How would you handle this situ situation? And it's, it's, it's much easier. It's like having a team to work with. And, and I do find that all these designers, you know, younger, some my age, some in between, are very forthcoming with ideas and we share and um and and it's been very helpful very yeah. helpful it sounds like there's a camaraderie uh, amongst you is that what you feel it really is yeah there is and i think we all encounter similar issues and similar problems and some of it are business decisions you know or con contractual agreements how would you handle you know how do you have this in your contract and some of them are, are strictly designed you know design conundrums that we have to work our way through right so. let's let's talk about some of the things you know some of those conundrums um you don't just do interior design but you do the like the whole ball of wax from gut renovations expansions uh, to, to kitchen and bath uh, layouts and stairway designs well, now, go ahead I, i'm sorry go ahead you know, no i I, not, I think that people need to understand the difference between decorating and design and design build Decorating is, because a lot of people don't understand that. And what I can say is that many or most designers incorporate decorating into their projects, but decorators do not necessarily incorporate design into theirs. Decorating is more the application of materials, finishes, selection of furniture, furnishings. Design involves more um, hands-on uh, space planning, lighting design, electrical plans, documents, construction documents and specifications that contractors need in order to execute uh, a project. It more often involves um, kitchen design and bath design, as you said, and is a little bit more complex. And you need to be uh, have an education and a degree to call yourself a designer. Uh, well, let, let me I, ask you a question. So when you, okay, just say a, a kitchen renovation you you design also the where you go in and change the whole plan of the kitchen and come up with a whole new design is that what you're saying and also oh yes yeah. so sometimes i relocate the kitchen altogether, or i will move a bathroom or i will change entries and entrances and dimensions in order to make the design goals come to fruition because the first thing that you do or that I do when I meet with a client is to talk. I ask questions. What do you want? What works for you? What doesn't work for you? I, I, I just get as much information as I can. And I take that information and I turn it into a space plan. That seems to be my particular forte, space planning. And I enjoy it very much. Yeah. Now, you have a number of alphabet uh, titles after your name, uh, for example, CID, AFDA. Do you have what? to go to school for the, these designations? Uh, well, CID is Certified Interior Designer. That, that's a designation that you get 
through accreditation. Allied AIA means that I am affiliated with the American Institute of Architects, and I was able to do that because I did work and partner, <coughs> excuse me, with an architect for many, many years. And my work, um, more, more the um, commercial, what we call contract design, uh, leans in that direction. And I did so many projects of that nature. And some of them were really quite large, like 40,000, 50,000 square feet. And, um, and the other is a, an industry group that people in the industry, uh, in interior furnishings and design association. And then GC, I am a licensed and insured general contractor in the town of East Hampton. So uh, I got that so that I could effectively manage the projects that I design without having to go through a third party or having my clients have to go through a third party meaning first you complete the design then you give it to a, a general contractor who then builds it and then they still pay the designer to be on the site so that they can make sure that what is being built conforms to the design intent when so, I started to realize it was more efficient for me to do everything, and, and I'm not the only one, by the way, it's, just, it's, it's a huge faction of, of uh, the industry, where design build is one contiguous process. It's very efficient. You're one step ahead of the sheriff most of the time, but you eliminate the need for a middleman, and um, it helps the client. And also, if there are changes or adjustments that need to be made as the construction is happening, which is inevitable, Right. It happens a lot. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny, but you, you say that because I had a project uh, where I, the architect and the um, contractor just didn't see eye to eye. And I always thought that was like, I had to act as a go between uh, just to get the project done. But it's, uh, and if you eliminate that, uh, I think that's great because you know, you have the thoughts, you know how to lay it out and you, and you tell them if you're as a general contract, that's fa fabulous. I didn't, wasn't aware of that. You know, something else that you do that um, in this project that I had worked on was uh, stairway design. And I recall working with the architect that you would think a stairway is so simple and yet it takes up a lot of space. I mean, depending on how you situate a stair it's so complex. Stair design is so complicated because you're dealing in fractions of inches when it comes to the risers and the treads, the handrail, there are codes that apply. It is very complicated. And I do, I, I happen to enjoy it because there's an aesthetic component to it as well. But I do work with certain companies when it comes to stair design uh, who specialize in that. And we interface to make sure that um, we get it exactly the way we want it to be. So, but that's, stair design is very, very complicated. But I do that with kitchen design too. I work with certain um, manufacturers and installers and we make sure that all the details are in place before we order anything and before we install. So. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that because yeah, your last project, um, which I really admired, um, did you have any challenges? Because I, I understand that it's, uh, you know, the supply chain is becoming, it's difficult to get just even basic furniture. I mean, uh, you know, no. people are going in saying, I'll buy the sample. Um, this is so diff This has been the, the toughest year in all the years I ever did design. We can't, we couldn't get anything. I'm still waiting for, believe it or not, a chair and an ottoman since November. And why? 
because they can't get the foam to fill the cushions to deliver the chair. Nine months, because foam was made with a petroleum-based product. So when Texas had that freeze, we lost all of that. And it's, and the industry itself um, has lost, so people could not work. So um, when we started to come back, all the manufacturers were on skeleton crews and it slows everything down. People are not working in the factories. It was, I would say the most difficult year in design. And this was more of a, um, the main floor of this project, it was a 9,000 foot house, was a uh, decorating project, the, up, the upper two floors. But the bottom floor, the lower level was a little bit more complicated because I designed and installed a home theater a gym, and that sounds simple, right? Until you yeah, start about right. the floor, right? What kind of floor and what kind of subfloor and how big are the equipment and is there room to locate it and use it? And it's, it's you know, everything looks simple after it's done. Uh, we put in a sauna and then- you design that too, right? I'm sorry? You, did you design the sauna? I mean- the, the layout. The layout of the sauna. And I had somebody build it and install it, right? I mean, gotcha. I don't swing a hammer. If that's what you want. <laughs> no, I, I don't swing a hammer. I would hit myself in the thumb, you know, but, right. but I know how to tell them to do it or where to do it or what I'm looking for. Right. And that's... then, no, uh, we brought in a pool table because it was, it was the let's have fun area downstairs. And it was, is fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's the name of the game. Uh, so how can somebody get in touch with you? If they have any questions about interior design. Well, my website, barbarafeldmaninteriors.com or .net, I think it is. I don't even know my own website. <laughs> I've been on it that long. Hamptonsinteriordesign.net will get you to me. Um, my email is design at hamptonsinteriors.net. You can get to me. You can Google me. At this time, I will say that I am taking only limited projects. Um, I have uh, finishing up this big one. I have another one that I'm in the middle of renovating and uh, then I'm starting a kitchen and bath renovation. That's fantastic. Barbara Feldman, right. it's been a delight having you on the program. This is John Christopher for Real Life. And, and thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Yes. Thank you, Barbara. This is John Christopher again for Real Life. And thank you again for taking the time to listen and remember to have an awesome journey. Have a great day. Welcome back to Real Life. And this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have with me Managing Director of Commercial Division of Brown Harris Stevens, John Goldman. Hi, John. How are you? Hello, John. How are you? I'm, I'm doing fine. Thank you're, you. That's great, John. You know, before we talk about, I just read this latest headline in, I, I don't know, I think it was in the journal about commercial real estate in Manhattan taking a nosedive. But let's not talk about that just yet. I want to talk about how you came about heading the commercial division of Brown Harris Stevens back in 2008, just as Lehman Brothers was collapsing? Well, that's an interesting uh, uh, question. Um, let me give you a little broader answer to your question, if it's all right. I've been in New York City since I finished law school and came to New York from uh, Boston, where I grew up about 54 uh, years ago as a young lawyer and I've been a started working in a major firm and other firms and practice real estate law and uh, 
which I've not done for the last 25 years uh, or so. So I started as a lawyer, became a developer, well, first in the uh, a, a lawyer. Then I started investing, and then I became a developer, and uh, uh, was uh, and after the first, one of the crashes in eighty nine ninety. Um, I closed my law firm because we only had one client, and that client was out of business. The client was me. We were all <laughs> out of business in ninety one, but I managed to stay alive and go on and make deals with other people until 1908 uh, uh, when Halstead, Halstead, which has since been merged into Brown Harris Stevens, asked me to start a commercial division. And they said, would I be interested? And I said, no. And I said, well, wait a minute. You know, my family, my father practiced law in Boston till he died at 96. And I don't want to retire. We don't retire. So I said, boy, that sounds like something to keep me going. So I did. I started the uh, uh, commercial division at Halstead in 2008, about two weeks after Lehman Brothers crashed. I thought that Halstead would say, well, forget that. But they didn't which was very nice and we they kept their uh, uh, mind open to this what we had planned and we did it and survived and i was there until recently halstead merged into brown harris stevens so i took my group from halstead and now we're sitting in under the tutelage of brown harris stevens which as many of you know has common ownership so it wasn't a major uh, event from a corporate point of view. And uh, that's what I've been doing since. Uh, and uh, so how did you were there any challenges just as the uh, Great Recession was coming about? Uh, I mean, you came into this, you know, starting the division uh, at that time in 2008. And, you know, everything, the crisis, everything was imploding. So, you know, going out there and, and um, making deals, how was that? Was there any challenges along the way? Well, or challenges don't. Of course, there were challenges, and of course, things change and in their nature, and uh, that's what's going on today to some extent. Um, but we we did survive, and I had a supportive comp uh, company, and uh, we managed to make deals and survive. And uh, actually, uh, we made money the first year I was there. Uh, or soon thereafter, uh, because I remember my financial arrangement and I do remember there was a plus at the end of it. Uh, so yes, uh, somehow we, maybe prices went down, maybe people sold because they had to, maybe they sold faster because they had to. Then of course, there's a lot of uh, deals that didn't happen. Uh, but if you have, and this is important for today's interview and today's market, uh, I find over my many years around that people don't make deals when they should, and they don't, uh, banks don't lend money when they should, and they don't do when they shouldn't. So that three or four years ago, there are a lot of people who went into real estate deals to develop property or condos and all that. And uh, many of them are all coming to sell those condos at the same time and having problems, as you know. 
whereas today I tell clients whom I am working with on development deals for condos to be built, which will be on the market in three or four years from today, uh, when that happens, they'll look pretty good because there'll be very little because when you go to get financing for a new project today, many people, they can't get it. Or when you get people who want to do a development deal today, uh, they don't want to do it because they don't have the lesson that I've just told you. So it's all about timing is what you're saying. Oh, yeah. So it's no surprise there, right? <laughs> I guess not. I didn't invent this, you know. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you're just taking advantage of it. That's yeah. all. <laughs> Now, you, you know, at my age, you just re repeat things over and over. You don't come <laughs> up with it. No new ideas. Just old, same old, same old. Well, you know, let me just uh, tell you, it's funny. I, I recall back in the dark ages when I was going to uh, real estate school to get my license. And I had this one instructor say, if you have a personality, go into residential real estate. If you don't, do commercial. So you are an anathema to that thinking because you have quite the personality, John, because I've known you for a number of years. Do you think that uh, instructor was off base? <laughs> well, you, you know, I thought I was prepared for all your questions. Now, this was, I didn't, I didn't read up on this one. I'll give you the vacancy rate in offices. But what you are asking, I, I can't, I mean, there's no doubt that a uh, person with a uh, Prada or Louis Vuitton bag who's showing a uh, six-bedroom penthouse on Fifth Avenue might have a different personality than somebody who's selling a development site in Tribeca or a retail condominium uh, on uh, in uh, Madison Avenue. There's no doubt that it does bring out different people. However, uh, I would say there are plenty of people in residential who are very businesslike and very uh, straight-faced and all that. And uh, uh, then there are people in commercial who have a fabulous sense of humor, like I do, and uh, good looks and a winning <laughs> personality. So uh, what can I tell you? There's no generalities. There's no generalities. <laughs> okay. Just wanted to clarify. That but if you're me. really ugly, I suppose you're probably better off in, in commercial. commercial. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's funny. Okay. So let's talk uh, commercial real estate in the city. A lot of the CEOs like uh, Jamie Dimon and, and David Solomon are requiring their employees to come back to the office. Yet some employees are, are pushing back. How do you think that's going to play out for you? You mean for me as yeah, what? As as to commercial real estate. I mean, you know, um, a lot of okay. You were going to you. I don't know. I don't own office buildings, but let oh, me. Okay. Uh, but I deal with office building owners, and I deal with uh, office building uh, product to sell or rent or whatever. Uh, let me just s say to you, and since. Uh, happily, John, you're an old friend of mine, so that you and I talk off market and uh, privately. And I told you over the weekend what I would say today um, when I was asked uh, a question such as this. And I would like to say that, and I'll get more specific if you'd like, And um, but when 
there is a huge vacancy factor in uh, offices. There's a huge sublet market uh, in real estate. I can give you statistics. Uh, there's a certain low occupancy rate of office buildings and offices, professional offices today and all that. Uh, there are all kinds of fluctuations in valuations in the, those related fields. Um, when people ask me, as you just did, what about this and what about that? Uh, I want to tell you my general answer is I don't know. I see a lot of articles that say that uh, people will come back, uh, they've come back 20%, they'll come back 40% by September, uh, 60 by the end of the year. Uh, other things such as that, they'll say that the rental market, the rental rates uh, is down, but they're going to go up, uh, at, et cetera, et cetera. And all of these statistics and all of these projections are, to me, uh, suspect because I don't know, and I don't think anybody really does. So that's my general answer. So you're saying there's uh, no cr crystal ball here? Oh, absolutely not. Uh, you have a lot, I mean, uh, Goldman, uh, well, uh, uh, many financial companies, Goldman Sachs, I think, told all of their people they have to come back from the very beginning of the pandemic. Some of them only had to come back 50% of the time. But from day one, uh, Morgan Stanley or some other institution announced that all of their all of their people must come back coming up some deadline. Uh, their New York State is requiring uh, those without a special situation to come to their office July first. I know that because my wife works for the Economic Development Corporation, uh, unless they have a special uh, dispensation. Uh, so there are all kinds of things going on. Uh, then you say, well, if uh, some offices are, uh, I'm sorry, New York State is 50% of the time. Then you say, well, offices are 50, those offices that are 50% occupied, uh, they need more space per person. So if they're, they need twice as much square footage per worker because of public spaces, larger offices, etc. So if you have 50% and you need twice as much space per person, then you need the same amount of office space. Well, I don't know if that's true, but there's any number of things going on. There's any other ways and nobody knows really what's going to happen. Now, uh, that being said, there's no doubt that uh, the occupancy rates have gone down. And what, what comes next, I don't know. The amount of sublet space on the market, uh, the uh, commercial, uh, there's 12.2 uh, million square feet of uh, office space on the market as of January, 2021, up 91% from the uh, second quarter of, 19, of 2019. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, so there are other statistics I could give you about the amount of office space. Then, of course, with the less amount of uh, 
of office workers. You have satellite industries, local businesses, restaurants, and so forth that depend on office. So there's no doubt. But whether and how fast this will change, I don't well, no. John, anybody has any questions for you or trying to reach you to, you know, to get some more insights or whatever, how do they, how can they do that? Oh, absolutely. Write me at jgoldman, G-O-L-D-M-A-N, at bhsusa.com. Fantastic. John Goldman, it's a delight having you on the program. This is John Christopher for Real Life Broadcasting here in Southampton, New York, on the only NPR station on Long Island. WLIW 88.3 FM. In the meantime, I want to thank you again for listening and remember, have an awesome journey. You have been listening to Real Life, the program that talks about the people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond with host John Christopher who also created the music for real life. WLIWFM's Delaney Hafner and Kyle Lynch provide production support. Thank you for joining us for Real Life, right here on listener-supported 88.3 WLIWFM, Long Island's only NPR station, which you can also find on your favorite streaming apps and at WLIW.org radio.